Hi guys, so I'm not gonna lie, we tried to do the little uh, uh, From Euphoria? Uh, yeah, from Euphoria, but it didn't really work. The audio so. was not very good. Um, yeah. But if you guys wanna hear it next episode, maybe. Actually let's play it before we are speaking right now. So you just heard it. Like okay. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that was the intro. So if you can't hear though, two people are talking and that's Rayanne, so and we're here, we're going to do the part two of Melania's post-mortem interval, interval yes. episode. So, it's a little different than what I was planning originally. I was going to just talk about decomp today, but then I read the news and was a little mad about the updates from the West Memphis 3 case, which most people don't know of. It's actually really famous, so hopefully more people do know if you've like ever heard anything in true crime but I did want to kind of talk about it a little majority actually of the episode today and I'm just gonna explain it to Rayanne and you can kind of hear too this is Rayanne's first time hearing yeah it. I just listened to the first part but I don't know what she's gonna say to me so yeah and like before this we were just talking about what uh Ethan Crumbly and Gabby Petito because you didn't even yeah. know who those people were but it's fine oh and then also everything like all um, documentaries that I might like, all podcast episodes on this case are all going to be in the show notes because this case, it, it started in 1994 and it's still going on. Hmm. So, there's a lot to it. There's actually an HBO series. Oh. Yeah. Have I haven't seen, seen it. it. Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> but, you know, HBO's got to be good because Euphoria. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, I'm just going to kind of get into this. Ready? It's the evening of May 5th, 1993, and three 8-year-old boys named Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore are reported missing in West Memphis, Arkansas. 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 Got it. So, actually, I'll wait for that. Stevie Edward Branch and Christopher Byers and Michael Moore, the three boys, were all second graders at Weaver Elementary School, um, and they each were the rank of the wolf in their... <laughs> <laughs> like an alpha? Or... Yeah. No, they were each, like, the uh, like they ranked wolf in their Cub Scout pack. Okay, got So it. they were all three best friends, though, and they were, like, you know, into, like, Boy Scouts is basically mm-hmm. what Cub Scout. It's kind of cute, though. So, um... Branch was, I'm just going to use their last names from now. Branch was eight years old. Like for, the troll. Yes. Branch, the troll. Yes, Justin Timberlake. Um, that actually, okay, this is really off topic, <laughs> but this morning our school played Black History Month songs. You heard that? I kind of did, but I was listening. To Justin them. Timberlake was in there. <laughs> They're like, why? and as long as I got my <laughs> For Black History Month? Yeah. Okay. So, Okay. So, the first of the boys, Branch, was 8 years old. He was four foot two and weighed 65 pounds and had blonde hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt and riding a black and red bicycle. Um, Byers, the second of the two boys, was also 8 years old, four foot tall, weighed 52 pounds and had light brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, dark shoes, and a white long sleeve shirt. And Moore was eight years old, four foot two, weighed six, 55 pounds, excuse me, and had brown hair. And he was last seen wearing blue pants, a blue Boy Scouts of America shirt, and an orange and blue Boy Scout hat, riding a light green bicycle. I honestly like all their pa- fashion choices, so 
There's that for you. Do they sound like us? Like, that's a very Emma Chamberlain white shirt. Oh, yeah. Jeans. Yeah. The Boy Scouts thing, she would totally wear that. Oh, yeah, 100%. If she found it at the thrift store. Yeah. So, um, West Memphis... You kind of think Memphis, Tennessee, right? Yeah. It's actually, like, right across the Mississippi River from Memphis, Tennessee, is West Memphis. So, mm, I don't know if that helps you at all. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't even know what side. I'm guessing it's west of the Mississippi River. I just know it's across the Mississippi River. Got it. Um, Really bad geography. But this was a small, conservative town, and it's pretty religious, which you want to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Um religious as in what christian that's kind of yeah Yeah. christian conservative um so the first missing person case was reported by buyer's adopted father john not adopted adoptive father john mark buyers at around 7 p.m and then the other boy's parents shortly followed after it kind of went where like they did this a lot and they don't do it anymore where it's like mom can i go to so-and-so's house oh sure go ahead and then they all, all did that and then they just like hung out outside that was pretty normal um in the 1990s but not anymore my mom won't even let me go to my driveway right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so bad but so three neighbors stated that they actually last saw the boys playing together at around 6 30 p.m um but the timeline's a little tricky. I'm not going to go fully in-depth again, just because I'm just trying to tell you kind of, like, what's the news on this. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but there's a whole timeline. I'll link it in the show notes. So parents that night searched and also police did, but it wasn't a very extensive search. In fact, they actually at one point scanned over the place the bodies were going to be discovered. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> they're, I don't know, they're just like, let's see. No, I don't think so. Like, they just kind of glanced over it. Um, but at 8 a.m. on the next morning, Monday, May 6th, a thorough police search actually began, and it was led by the Cretendon County Search and Rescue personnel. Um, they searched all of West Memphis, but they primarily focused on Robin Hood Hills. That sounds like a really good town. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, this was the area the boys were last seen. And at around 1.45 p.m. that day, so how many hours is that? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 6 hours. Like around 6 hours yeah. after. Um, the juvenile parole police officer, Stephen Jones, he's, okay, this is a little bit of trigger warning. Just after this, like, yeah, just take as you please, listen at your own risk. Okay. So um, this isn't the worst of it. I'm just saying in general because we're going to go through the autopsy reports too. So... The officer spotted a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek, and it was... Hold on. Is this near, like, you know how you said they had, like, a not very extensive search? Yeah. Is this in the same area? Yes. This is... Because then they, like, searched, like, all of West Memphis? They searched all of West Memphis, and then they also searched Robin Hood Hills, which is, like, the neighborhood that they were last in. The night before, they only searched, really, in the general area. Okay. So... They're back in the general area because that's where they were focused on because that's where they seen them last, right? And um, so he finds, the officer finds a boy's black shoe floating in the muddy creek, which is, like, normal, honestly. Like, there's gross mm-hmm. stuff, flo- like, in creeks all the time. It led into a major drainage canal in the Robin Hood Hill area. And um, he tried to, like, he ended up jumping in and grabbing the shoe from the creek. But while he was on his way, he felt like a log 
And then he felt some, like, uh, the log, like, latch onto him. But, oh, like, God. but like almost like it got stuck. Like, his foot got stuck. And it was what he thought. It wasn't a log. It was um, one of the boy's bodies, actually. Which is, like, if that happened to me, I don't know how I'd actually keep living. Like, I don't no. understand oh how God. you cannot, like, every time I would take a step, mm. I would just think about it. Like, the boy was dead, but... Was it his? Like, it, it was, was it like I think something? it may have. They never fully explained it. It might have been like in between your arm and your, what is his chest? Torso. Yeah, torso. Your torso is kind of a little lower, but like that area, it was just terrible. But soon, all three of the boys' remains were found in the ditch and immediately taken to the medical examiner. My problem is like, have you seen? There's a show called uh, the. It's like 48 hours. The first 48 hours are the most important time in a crime. Um, they're most likely still alive, like, in the, that's the time where they're gonna be, if they're ever gonna be alive, the most likely time they're gonna be alive is within the first 48 hours, Mm -hmm. and they didn't, like, why did you just glance over? It doesn't make any sense, the killer could have been there, I don't, I don't get it, but they're in the medical examiner now, right? Um, the medical examiner stated that they all had been stripped naked, and all three were tied with their own shoelaces, Their right ankles were tied to their right wrists behind their backs, and the same with their left arms tied to their left ankles. Um, Their clothing was found in the creek. It was actually, like, twisted around some sticks in the creek. Um, The clothing was mostly turned inside out, and two of the boys' underwear was never recovered. They never found it. Um, So Christopher Byers, one of the boys, he had lacerations to various part of his body and he had mutilation on his genital areas. Ew. Yeah. Uh, The autopsy, the autopsies, I'm sorry, were conducted by the forensic pathologist or medical examiner Frank J. Peretti and I don't understand I'm just going to actually, I don't want to foreshadow. They indicated that Byers died of multiple injuries. Um, It was actually, like, when I say multiple injuries, it wasn't because of drowning. It was because of the mutilations done to him. Okay. He was the one who was mutilated in the genitalia area. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it was reported he died of multiple injuries, um, while Moore and Branch died of multiple injuries and drowning. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I went through the autopsy report, which I can also leave down, but I'm kind of just going to show you or give you a little quick rundown of each of the boys from the autopsy report. So James Michael Moore had fly larvae or larvae in the nostril and eye. He had signs of lividity, which this kind of goes back to part <laughs> one, so it kind of ties in. And he was, um, the medical examiner was unable to check for rigor mortis due to the way the body was tied. The rigor mortis is the stiffening of the body, yeah. and it was just not working. I'm sure also because it was underwater, it was very hard to, like, I didn't even know you could have larvae, like fly larvae in your eyes when you're underwater. Um, body had, uh, the body had cuts and there were signs of bruises on his face. For the next kid, Stevie Edward Branch, um, he had signs of lividity. They also couldn't tell, um, with rigor and there was larvae in his eyes. He had cuts on his left side of his face from his chin to his cheek, like a long one. And then the last boy, uh, Byers, he had signs of lividity, fly larvae in his eyes and his nose, and the body had been emasculated, which is cutting the genitalia area um the stab wounds were on there were stab wounds on his head and it looked like there was bruising on his face and legs so 
here's where it gets like really annoying because this is why I wanted to talk about this case. Like so many things went wrong. So what the first thing we already heard is that they didn't do an extensive search, right? Mm -hmm. This medical examiner, or so I call him a medical examiner, wasn't even certified. <laughs> oh, actually. He failed the um, exam twice, yet he still conducted conducted the autopsy, and um, there were multiple medical examiners who completely disagreed with what he said and said that there was, like, things he was missing, things that he got wrong, things that he actually could have been, like, things that could have been um, told, but he just didn't, like, pick up pick up on it and I know it's a small town so like not like this is like the first murder basically in a town like this was not coming at all but come on yeah. we're not we're not doing the whole like oh I don't like it's your job you would think that they would have an actual certified per- like forensic pathologists at least those are doctors they go to medical school so I don't know how that I, he he got his like degree on like one of those online things oh. even though it's 1990 I don't know how that works I, I, he failed it twice. And yes, he, 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 he like, just didn't. He didn't take it again. He just kind of like gave up. I don't. And then they it doesn't. And then they give him a job. It's like, oh my god, these boys. If they just like so many things just weren't in their favor that they never got their justice. Um, but I'm just gonna get into the suspects right now because I think that's really where the case kind of takes off in like the wrong direction. Okay. So, um, there's also though. Complete, like, there's so much extensive stuff. Again, that's all in the show notes. So, at the time of their arrest, there's going to be three people. I'm just going to say they were all arrested, the suspects. So, mm-hmm. at the time of their arrest, it's Jesse Miss Kelly he, Jr. He was 17 years old. Jason Baldwin was 16 years old. And Damian Eccles, I'm going to call him Eccles, was 18 years old. So, these are all teenagers, minors, children. Um... Let's just start from the beginning then for them. So Damien Eccles, he was only a suspect because of rumors. Remember, this is a conservative town. Um, he was not he was not like conservative looking. He had like evil tattooed on his um, knuckles. He had long black hair. He dressed in black. He listened to like punk death metal. You know, like, okay, that's, so like, yeah. so, like, the, the they're the not gonna, they're like, come on, it. maybe this Damien boy, like, okay. that's what they're thinking. So, um, he's also into occultism, but I do believe that, like, not all people who are into, like, occultism and, like, satism are actually, like, murderers. I, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure they're not all murderers. Um, but, yeah, so they all were like, oh, he might be the suspect, but, um... With no evidence? Yeah, so there was no evidence at all. They There was no sights of him near the boys anywhere at that time. Wow. He had an alibi. There was not even, like... He had no association with them at all. Um, he, he denied everything. So police had him take a polygraph, but he did actually come... Like, the polygraph, polygraph came back indicating that he may be lying. Um, I do want to clarify, though, that you should never take a polygraph. Those things aren't used in court, and it's for a reason. They are not, like, they just don't... Accurate. They're not accurate at all. So, I, I don't, like, that doesn't say anything about who he is and if he actually did it or not. But, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it did to them. So, he was the top suspect at the time. Like, they, that was the, he was, like, the one they were questioning for months and months. And he kept, again, completely denying it. And I say that he's the top suspect because here's another thing that goes wrong. At the same time, there's another suspect, okay? 
They call him Mr. Bojangles. Have you ever been to Bojangles? No. Where is that? It's like those chicken restaurants. I think it's like a fast food restaurant. Oh, no. I've never, never I've never been, but my grandma, she's like, oh, you need to go. You need to go to Bojangles. And I'm like, uh, Is there one near here? Yeah. There's, they're, in, they're like down south is what all the <laughs> northern people say. And I'm like, I live in northern Virginia. I mean, it's, I guess that's still south. but Bojangles? Bojangles, yeah. Got it. So they call him Mr. Bojangles, this suspect. So, according to the West Memphis police officers, on the evening of May 5th, 1993, at 8.42 p.m., mind you, this is the day that the boys were missing, um, the worker in a Bojangles restaurant located about a mile from the crime scene in Robin Hood Hills reported seeing a black male who seemed mentally disoriented inside of the ladies' restroom. In the Bojangles? Yes. The man was bleeding and had like he had brushed uh against the restroom walls so there was blood everywhere like all over the walls there was blood and i i say that he's bleeding but they're actually like they weren't quite sure they couldn't tell if like they there was blood all over him they didn't know if he was bleeding he seemed to like be bleeding they didn't really understand what was going on like if it was you don't really assume that it was someone else's blood you you would think first like oh he's bleeding they just they don't really know um but there was definitely blood on him. Um, so, yeah, there's blood all over the restroom walls, too. So they call. They're like, uh, you need to come to Bojangles. Like, what? <laughs> what's going on here? Um, the time, by the time the police arrived, the man had already left, and the police didn't even enter the restroom. <laughs> like, that's not funny at all. That's not funny at all, but the police didn't even... Enter they, the restroom so to see. So they were like told about the blood in their yes. restroom, yes, and they did. It, it doesn't. Yes, uh, it's so it's so infuriating. So the day after the victims' bodies were found, right? So May six. Yeah. The the manager at Bojangles, his name was Marty King. He was like thinking, you know, there's maybe a possible connection to the bloody man found in the bathroom that night when they go missing. So he, again, reports the um, incident to police officers. Actually, I think a worker at first yesterday on May 5th reported, and I heard that um, the officers actually, like, talked to them through the drive through line. Like, that's how they talked to them. I think that's why they didn't go inside. But you don't talk you, to someone in a – you walk – it's not that hard to walk into yeah. the building. But the the manager on May 6th decided to actually call and say, like, hey, there's, like, a there could be a possible connection. Um, and – the man reportedly, he said, wore a blue cast type brace on the arm that had like a white Velcro strap on it. Uh, and police said that it would have made it difficult to tie up and murder the three young boys. So they just kind of didn't really care that much. Um, yeah, so um, Mr. King gave the officers a pair of sunglasses he thought the man had left behind. And the detectives took some blood samples from the walls and towels of the restroom. Um on the next day, but the police officer Bryn Ridge testified that he later lost those blood scrappings. You don't, you don't lose lose that stuff. So I'm saying nothing's going anywhere. The first day they just don't do anything. You leave it just for a day and then you come back, you take blood and then you have your sunglasses and it's like, okay, wow, this is good. And then you just, you lose lose it it on court day. Okay. Okay. Okay, sweet. Okay. 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 So, the hair was identified as belonging to a black male. and where? Like in the bathroom? Um, yes. And, oh, I'm sorry. No. 
the hair that was sorry the hair um on a sheet wrap around one of the victims was oh. reported to be from a black man and okay. i mind you all these the other three boys the suspects were not black they weren't mm-hmm. i have no idea what race they are but they're not black um but this seems like a very you know mr bojangles yeah. may have done it and they kind of just let him go um which is very again infuriating like after they got the hair yes like they just like they see the hair and then they don't even try to trace back their steps it doesn't make any sense like you would think they'd go back and like i know there's nothing in this bojangles but maybe we can like talk to the people and get like you know a sketch done at least like yeah. something and it's so infuriating with the losing the blood to how do you do that? That's not... I honestly I can't, don't know. It's like so many... Ugh. So, let's go back to the suspect number one, which is Damien. Remember, he's on the top of the list. He the had, emo goth? Yeah, the emo goth, okay. who's, uh, yeah, evil on his knuckles, so he had to have done it. Um, he had two friends, Jesse Miss Kelly and Jason Baldwin, and they ended up only being tied into the um, case just kind of like guilt by association. Like, they were friends with him in high school, and they would all kind of listen to punk rock music together and, like, I don't know, do drugs. That was, like, their type of thing. Um, so for a while, they weren't getting anything from the boys, especially Damien. Like, they just tried, but they they were not confessing until June 3rd, 1993. So on this day, Jesse Miss Kelly gave a confession to West Memphis Police Department. And Jesse is one of his friends. Yes, he gave a confession. I'm gonna say, just again for the sake of time, this was a false confession. Um, He was there. He was at the police station for like all day. All day, like 12 hours he was just there. And I think at that point, people don't understand. Like, you think that when you're in that situation, you're not gonna confess. Yeah. But when you're sitting there and you like feel like you're mentally tortured, you're you just want to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens a lot. Like that used to happen. Like when the Chicago police would like beat people up. Of course, they're gonna give a confession. We learned in AP Euro like during the Enlightenment, they didn't want torture because torture would only benefit the guilty. Because it's like they're gonna not they're not going to confess and just take a little bit of torture so that they don't have to take you know life sentence or get sentenced to death while innocent people are just going to get tortured and feel like this is terrible and just confess like it doesn't benefit anyone it just makes wrong convictions but um also from that youtube channel what is it like cs i no it's like j j jcs i have no idea no, is it the one? No. That, is it the one where they like um, do court cases and they show like what they're talking about? or like they it's do like, interrogation rooms? Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it was called though. I don't know how I don't remember. I remember we were talking about his voice we sounds like an auto. With, yeah, yeah. We we're talking about it with Liam. Yeah, and like they said, all they were like going into the stuff about like the um, the methods that oh yes the people that the use people to, use to like yeah. try to get away with crimes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but and like. Force confessions on mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and stuff. So, um, according to Brandon L. Garrett, professor of law at the University of Virginia. Woo! <laughs> um, school of law. Virginia School of Law. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, same thing. Like, there's school of med- medical school at Harvard, you know. He was also the author of Convicting the Innocent, Where Criminal Prosecutions Go Wrong. So he's pretty qualified. He said the following, and there is a slur in here, the R slur. So I'm just going to... What do I replace with that? I'll just say, like, sprinkles or something. Yeah, I'll just say 
I'll say, actually, let's say Euphoria. Euphoria. Okay. Maddie Perez. Yes. So, um, the quote, the lawyers of the three maintained that Miss Kelly's confession was false, unreliable, and included all sorts of statements totally inconsistent with how the crime actually happened. Miss Kelly was borderline mentally euphoriaed with an IQ of 72, yet police persisted with his lengthy interrogation. The few recorded pieces of the interrogations showed police using leading questions to try to tell him what happened. Something that... I'm sorry, something that interrogators are trained not to do because it contaminates a confession. We do not know what threats or other techniques were used to secure that confession. Miss Kelly had promptly recanted his confession, but it was used to arrest and convict him. So I'm going to play like a little bit of the confession just to give you like a little, I don't know, I think it's fun to like hear what actually was going on so we're gonna listen to a little bit of the confession and then come back and you know explain what was going on like i said david damien and them left before i did i told my made them there and stuff i had to get ready and stuff i made them there it was early in the morning so they went ahead and met me up they went ahead went up and then i came up you know later on behind them what time did you get there i got there about nine in the morning Mm-hmm. Of Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when, what time is it right now? Right now? Yeah. You don't know what time it is? Do you not wear a watch? It's at home. My so, dad, my dad woke me up this morning. Your time period might not be exactly right, what you're saying. Right. But it, it was like early in the day, but you don't know exactly what time. Okay. Because we got, I've got some real confusion with the times you're telling me. But now, this nine o'clock in the evening call that you've got, explain that to me. Okay, so a quick rundown of like the bad things in the confession. First off, this was a child. He was a minor, and he didn't have any parent there, especially all day. Um, if I was, I would actually like cry myself. To, for 12 hours. For 12 hours, yeah, I would yeah. cry. I would just cry everything out. Um, but they just kept going with the interrogation, no parent there. Um, the police should have recorded everything. They didn't, they only recorded specific parts. Oh, really? Which, yeah, that's a little, just a little shady, just a tiny bit. Uh, they also um, would lead him into questions. So, for example, they would say, like, um, oh, you went to Robin Hood Hills, and he'd be like, yeah, I was in Robin Hood Hills, which is a neighborhood, and then he'd be like, oh, so what part of the woods did you guys go to? He never said anything about a wood, like, he never said anything about the woods, yet you're leading him to the woods where the creek was, which you should never be doing, you should only be doing, like, you need to either let them talk and say, hey, explain this, be silent, let them all talk, or, like, yes or no questions. Like, that's how it goes in an interrogation room. Oh, did you also want to say what that YouTube channel was? Oh, um, it was JCS, um, JCS Criminal Psychology. It's really good, but they don't post very I know, often. but it's fine. They work really hard, yeah. though. Um, so, because, like, they didn't record the whole confession, we can't really figure out what went on in there but like I said when you are there for all day like when you're there all day you're probably gonna end up confessing confessing. um and he recanted his confession immediately and um 
but it still was used to arrest and convict him. I did also want to point out that he, at the very beginning of the confession, said, I killed them at four o'clock. Well, the boys couldn't have been killed at four o'clock because they um, were still hanging out and people saw them at four o'clock. They were last seen at 6.30 alive. So that was wrong and police would, like, after he said that, the police would be like, oh, so you killed them at seven o'clock, you mean, right? And he'd be like, uh, yeah, that's like, yeah. come on. And also, he messed up a super big detail. Normally, most killers know exactly what they killed somebody with. Mm-hmm. He, remember, I said that they were tied um, by their hands and their feet with their own shoelaces. Yeah. He said that it was rope, and I think that's a very big, like, that's something very big to mess up. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't see what there would be to lie about that, like, what, what is good about lying, saying about, that like, it's, shoelaces. yeah, like, yeah. there's nothing that's going to benefit you. So, um, so much, like, so much happened between that and their trial. At one point, an eight-year-old boy named Aaron Hutchinson stated that he actually witnessed the boys died, um, but, or die, sorry, but this spirals into, like, just so much more than I need to really discuss in this episode. So, again, the HBO series, podcast, all in the um, show notes. But, um, Ultimately, the three teenagers were arrested, and Miss Kelly ended up being tried tried separately. Well, um, Eccles and Baldwin, they're tried. They were tried together in 1994. It's actually because there's a law that states that, like, since Miss Kelly confessed, he wouldn't be able to admit that he confessed in front of the other two. Oh, so that's why he had to be tried okay. separately. Yeah, and um, they were tried as adults. I don't. The thing is, I'm kind of, like, confused on whether I agree with being tried as adults or not. Like, you made the law for children. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're tried as a child, there's a reason for that. Um, so, like, why would there, why is there even a law if that you get tried as a child if you're not going to try someone as a child? Um, but at the same time, it's, like, sometimes I definitely hear in true crime that they're tried as an adult and I'm kind of like happy yeah you're like like, because then they get more time but I don't I don't know like I just don't understand maybe it's like murder they should know um all the details about it but like I feel like maybe murder you should get tried as an adult and then like everything else though they should have kid laws I don't know it's like that's a whole spiral of events um but the um I'm sorry, they pleaded not guilty, but they were convicted. They got... The friends? Yeah. yeah. So they all, like, they maintained their innocence throughout this. They never once said that they were guilty. They always stated that they were innocent. Um, so Miss Kelly's trial, in it, critics stated that Miss Kelly's various confessions, um, like, just were inconsistent with each other, and that um, the particulars of the crime scene and murder victims, including the statement that Miss Kelly watched Damien sexually assault one of the boys, um, he did say that, and um, police police in- initially suspected that there was a sexual assault in this, but the friend- there was no forensic evidence at all indicating that the boys had been sexually assaulted, so that kind of didn't match up. Same with the shoe ties and the time of death. Like, it was just all inconsistent and not enough to um, get him to be guilty, like, plead him guilty. There was no physical evidence. But um, on February 5th, 1994, he was still convicted by a jury of one of 
of one account of first degree murder and two accounts of second degree murder. Um, the court sentenced him to life in prison plus 40 years. Wow. Did you know life in prison is 15 years? I, <laughs> I always thought it was like life. I thought it was life. I, I was like, life in your, like life in prison plus 40 years, what? What does that mean? What does that even mean? Exactly. 15 years is not a lot. It's at not. all. So why do they call it life is my question. I don't know. Like, like I, life to me would be like at least 50 years. Because then it's like if you're poison. 50. Like... Only, like, a few months ago. Yeah. And, like, right now, I just learned that it was 15. Well, okay, some people said it was 25, but most of the things said 15. I Maybe state by state, but in Arkansas, it's 15. Wow. And it's like, oh, my. That doesn't even, like, how do you murder someone and only get 15 years? I don't know. I thought you would be in prison for the Especially rest of your life. That, life. like, so-called evidence that they have. Yeah. Anyways, so, Eccle and Baldwin's child, again, they were together. Um, the prosecutors basically they again didn't have any evidence so they they kind of like went on with the trial and tried to say this was a satanic murder that's what it is mm. i i'm not quite sure if they actually like were trying to describe it like you know how you, the act of yeah. brutally you know killing someone is this is satanic yeah. like that's what or, or if they're actually you know it's a satan. rural town like this is for satan because that's what the town was that's the only way the boys were ever convicted. Yeah. Or, you know, because of the they whole, like, yeah. Um, and this was definitely, though, at the time where, like, rock music was satanic. What, yeah. satanic panic, that stuff was going on? Yeah. So, um, the court sentenced Eccle um, to death and Baldwin to life in prison. Um, it's just because Miss Kelly, he kind of said that he didn't do anything and that Eccle and Baldwin oh, wow. t- took all of it. Yeah. Like, he, they, like, did everything to the boys um but so those are the three court cases for them but we already had mr bojangles i did want to also say it though another suspect potentially which is buyer's stepdad one of the eight-year-old boys oh yeah so john mark byers was the adopted father of the victim christopher byers adoptive oh oh my god why do i keep doing this Adoptive, yes. Mm-hmm. So, he had a folding hunting knife that he actually gave to someone, and um, it somehow got to the police. I, I'm not quite sure. It kind of gets a little muddy in there. But it somehow got to the police. So, it was a folding hunting knife. Mm-hmm. Um, not really, like, I, everyone, I feel like, yeah, I had one. It's not that big of a deal. But um, he initially claimed that the knife had never been used before. However, after the blood, like, at, blood was found on the knife, and Byers stated that he had only used it once to cut deer meat. So, great change of story. Yeah. Like, yeah, never used this knife. And then... That's not, like, something you would... Yeah. Oh, I, I cut cut it with deer meat once. But that doesn't count. Yeah, that doesn't count. Oh, and I do also want to say, this isn't the note in the notes, but um, the night that he went to go search for his um, son and the, his son's friends, he told police, he was like, yeah, me and my wife together all night were, like, looking for them, like, us together. And it's like, you wouldn't really, like, he he would just kept emphasizing that he and her were together, like as almost as like an alibi, yeah. in my opinion. And he ended up also um, later like searching by himself, or what he said he did. He said he searched by himself, and um, 
he also, like, a couple hours later after that, he went to his friend's house and started playing guitar in the woods with his friend. He was like, oh, we're searching out in the woods, but they're playing guitar. And the the guy, his friend, was like, yeah, he seems very calm. So that actually happened? Yeah. Um. If my dad did that, I'd be like, if I'm in heaven, I'm like, boy, what? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Like, I mean, maybe he was, like, going crazy or something. You know, this is, like, frustrating. I, I don't know. But... These things aren't really adding up. Um, but in the interrogation room, the West Memphis police suggested that buyers, two buyers, that he might have left the knife out accidentally, and buyers agreed with it. So basically, the police were like, Oh, oh there's you, no you think he could have done it? Yeah, they were like, Oh, you, you, um, like they were like, Oh, basically, thanks for the knife. We're gonna check if there's blood. And he's like, Oh, there's no blood on it. Then they find there's blood, and he's like, Instead of being like, Huh, maybe he's a potential suspect, they're like, Huh. You probably use this. You must have, you must have, like, yeah. You must have left it out and, you know, an animal kind of cut itself. Yeah. And then Byers was like, sure, we're going with that. Like, girl, what? I don't know. So Byers later stated that he may have cut his thumb. Again, the stories just keep changing. I cut his thumb, animal, nothing. Like, I don't know. Uh, Further testing of the knife proved... Uh, produced inconclusive results about the source of the blood, um, and certainty remained uncertainty remained due to the small amount of blood. And um, they actually did find, though, that because even though the results were inconclusive, they did find that their like the blood matched the same genotype as John Mark Byers and Chris Byers. So I think here's the thing. He said, he, he went from, instead of, like, the animal thing, he was like, oh, I cut my thumb before the results. So I'm pretty sure he knew that he cut his, either he knew he cut his thumb, or maybe he did something and he knew that they were going to test the blood and know who it was. So they, he kind of, like, said, I cut my thumb. Does that make sense? But I'm they can't. I'm confused on, like, the timeline of the deer and then the testing and then, oh, I cut my thumb. So... That the deer was kind of like an excuse the police made up almost. Oh. Like they were like they. So they got it and. They okay, so basically him. here's he this the knife somehow got to the police right, mm-hmm. and he's like, boy, I've never used this knife. <laughs> they take the knife and they see that there's blood. Like they actually test it and find that there's blood on it, and the, like there's a presumptive and confirmative test. Remember, mm-hmm. so the presumptive test says this is blood. So then they tell him and um, they're like, oh, maybe you like. Oh, no, he was like, oh, I think I left it, um, I think I left, like, it out maybe for, or not, I think I left it, I think I cut it with a deer once. And then they're like, okay, so then they do the confirmatory test to kind of show what blood, remember, we did this in biomed class, like, what type of, whose blood is this, everything. And they get it, and they see that it matches him pretty much, um, but they don't tell him, obviously. So now they're like, oh, maybe you cut your thumb, or you left an animal out, like, what is going on? And he's like, oh, maybe I cut my thumb or something. And then they, like, the confirmatory, the confirmatory test concluded that it was either his, it matched at least the genotype of his blood or his son's because, you know, genetics, they kind of yeah. get in there. So we can't really do anything with it, though, because it was such a tiny amount. Um, um, Equal, Smith Kelly, and Baldwin, the suspects, 
submitted imprints of their teeth too to cross-examine it with alleged alleged bite marks on Steven, Stevie Branch's um, forehead because they found bite marks on this little boy, you know. right? Yeah, I know. So these suspects were like, come on, I, I'm innocent. They've been saying it the whole time, so they submit their bite marks. But um, it wasn't also mentioned in the original autopsy. That's why I didn't mention it because, again, the medical examiner didn't do crap. Um, it also wasn't even mentioned in the trial. This is after, while they're in prison. They're like, oh I'm still, yeah, I'm still innocent. So they give the bite mark, um, molds, I guess. John Mark Byers, though, the dad, he had his teeth removed in 1997, which was after the first trial, but before the imprint could be made. And again, with the mixed up stories, he claimed that he had a seizure, medi- he had seizure medication that caused him to have, um, parrot periodontal disease it's like some sort of teeth disorder I guess um so he planned the removal because um of other like he planned the removal like years before because he needed it for this disease that he was gonna have but then he also later on said that other kinds of dental problems caused him to do this so we're not really yeah he never had a consistency going but he got his teeth removed before any implants or any matching could be done onto whether, you know, his teeth, which I don't know. I thought you would have dental records. Yeah. I mean, like I, you'd think they'd have x-rays. I don't understand how that didn't work out. They never said anything about that. Now that I'm thinking, but, um, after an expert examined autopsy photos and noted that he thought that there might be an imprint on the belt buckle area of Byers' corpse, the little boy, and the older Mark, what's his name? I don't even, uh, John Mark Byers, yeah. He revealed to the police because he, the um, newer autopsy, like medical examiner said, hey, there's like these belt buckle imprints on the boy. Um, The older, oh my gosh, I can't, John Mark Byers, he told police that he had actually spanked his, stepson shortly before he disappeared yeah i know most people like actually you know spank their kids at that time but maybe that led to something that's all kind of for the whole case but i do want to say what is happening now that kind of got me really okay annoyed so was this case like tucked away for a while it was tucked away and only okay so in 2011 the three were released from prison actually Okay. You don't release three murderers from prison, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't do that. So why are they being released? They were released on what was called an Alford plea, and an Alford plea is where a defendant submits a guilty plea, but they don't admit to the actual crime. They don't admit to any wrongdoing, and they continue to assert their innocence. How does, I don't understand how, does, how that actually makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But that's what they did, and... um. New forensic evidence, though, was also presented as part of the case, which also kind of helped them get out, because there was, like, you know, the new, I feel like the new forensic evidence was no forensic evidence. There's nothing to prove us. Um, But they were released in 2011, and they'd also spent, they also had to spend 10 years on parole after that, but it's 2021, so, or 2022, so they're out now. Um, Eccles had petitioned prosecutors and West Memphis Police Departments during the last year and a half, like currently this last year and a half, to do specialized DNA testing on remaining evidence in the case that they have. 
they have the DNA from these boys. But the officials now claim that the evidence was lost or destroyed in a fire years ago. Hold on, what? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, say that again. So, so... Um, the main guy, the Eccles, he was the goth guy, remember? Yeah. He, he comes out and he's like, I- I'm still gonna, like, I know I'm out, but I'm gonna prove my innocence. This is not fair at all. Cause, you know, he can get money in this from, from this too. I'm sure he's not doing it for the money, but, um, there's probably a whole bunch of crap he has to go through just from yeah. that case. So he, he petitioned the people, like the West Memphis Police Department to test the DNA that they have from the evidence, like, from the crime scene. They still have kept DNA. And it's 2021. And they haven't tested it before. They haven't, they haven't tested it before. This DNA is crucial to the case. It's 2021. We we can test DNA now. It's not like... 2022? Oh, my God. Is it actually 20... Oh, my God. It's 2022. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's February. It's fine. So, it's 2022. Like, we can test this. And they just had it. And, and they, they just had it. And they didn't do... And then they say, oh, the evidence was lost or destroyed in a fire years ago. Right? And they're like, okay, um, Eccles like, okay, can we at least have, like, the date of when the fire was? And they were like, oh, no, we didn't keep a record of when the fire was. Like, there. This, like, there, there was, is and then, so the, yeah, the police, the police, I mean, not the police, the fire department, like, looked through their records. There was no public record of a fire ever. <laughs> I think maybe it was just like uh, another like like the blood sample how they they just lost it. it it's just like oh guys it. I lost it. Yeah, and they didn't want to say that they lost it again, so they're like, yeah, oh, and fire. it's like you don't release guilty people. You don't release three guilty men for like no reason, basically. So they, I'm sure these men were not guilty. You don't release three child predators, like chi- people who murder children. You do not release them from jail after what twenty years. Yeah, that's not how it works. So, they're not, like, I don't know what's going on now. The police won't do anything. Like, there's something up. It's really frustrating. No one's ever doing anything. I feel like it needs to be said. Um, The most recent thing, what's today's date? Today's February 11th. Um, So, Damien Eccles, again, petitioned for further DNA testing, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he, like, said, can I please you know, petition again, and, um, it was denied on February 8th, so two oh. days ago, three days ago, three, yeah. yeah, it was denied again, so that's all I have for that case, but there's nothing, like, there's nothing to it, wow, so the guy, there's nothing to the guy it, at the chicken place that, Bojangles, yeah, Bojangles, nothing. they did nothing, and then they just, lose all the evidence to three young eight-year-old boys in a fire that there's no record for wow no record at all oh my god that is that's actually like how did they do that like they're hiding something that's what they're doing like it's not that deep like they're literally hiding something there's no way they're not hiding anything no one remembers and no one remembers anything about this fire oh it's just a few years ago Okay, well, you're the police, so you're obviously going to call the fire department, you know? Like, maybe some people have a small fire and they don't... I don't understand why you wouldn't call the fire department, actually. Yeah, for a fire? And you're the police... Like, you work in law enforcement. You know, like, police officer... Or how fire department... How the fire department's going to work. It's like, 
Oh my god. And you keep records of this stuff. It's your job to also like hold on to this DNA. They they lost two things of DNA. They lost this one and then they also lost the Bojangles one. And then they like just met like they coerced these men into falsely like again, I'm going to keep saying it. They they're not going to release. Who's going to release people who have murdered 8-year-old boys? Like they're not they know something's they know that they, I don't know, didn't they just do didn't, they know that they didn't do it. This is on the Innocence Project, which is actually, um, it's a project who, um, it's a project who tries to use science to release falsely convicted people. It's in Washington, D.C., so it's really close for us. And, um, yeah, the Innocence Project is trying to work on this case as well, but it's, like, really tough. I don't know why the FBI won't step I think it's because it's all happened in the state and like weird laws like that won't let the FBI do anything but I don't I just don't get it it's really frustrating and I can't see how they could just like find something now either. there's yeah there's nothing it's so and these boys never got justice like if you look at their graves it's just so sad like there's just like I just I was looking up their case and then you just see the three boys buried and it's like oh my god and they're so cute, too. They're not, like, I don't know. They're not, like, annoying little eight-year-old yeah. boys. Like, they were literally wearing, like, a Boy Scout cap when they were last seen. So, <laughs> um, yeah. That was my little rant on that. So, there was that case. Um... It wasn't, um, there was no happy ending. Yeah, there's no ending, really. I hope it... There's no ending, yeah. There's just nothing, yeah, no ending. So, um, I was gonna talk about (laughs) post-mortem interval part two. I was gonna talk about, um, decomp, and I don't really think that's appropriate right now, actually. I thought it was going to be appropriate, but after, like, seeing how long this case kind of went and kind of where we ended up going... Yeah. I don't think that it's a good time, so I'm going to delay it until this Sunday so we can have a double episode. Nisa can post. Triple episode? Well, triple part and then double on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, This will that will be part three. But I think this still incorporated STEM. We talked about, like, you know, the yeah. genotypes of the boys, and we talked about... And, like, kind of the strategy... We didn't really delve into the strategies of, like, making people confess, but that might be, like, a good episode. And it's still... It, this is important. Like, yeah. some, I don't know what we can do. Besides spread the word and try to get it on in, onto the news in any way, shape, or form, like mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know, but I was gonna talk about Euphoria too. This is not <laughs> the time to talk about Euphoria. So thank you guys for listening. Um, yeah, make sure to like. Oh, not like. Subscribe. Well, if you're on YouTube, if you're make on, sure yeah. to like the video, subscribe and comment because Liam's really trying hard to get comments and no one is ever commenting and it's a little it's getting a little bit sad for liam I'm yeah honest, guys so um if yeah. you if you like liam's episodes definitely leave a comment i don't know um and if you're on spotify or like a listening platform that's not youtube then share to all of your friends and listen to our other episodes. Remember, we also are doing Q&As right now, so you can go to the bottom of this episode if you're on Spotify and type in the Q&A box, or you can um, do, like, whatever, DM, Gmail, everything will be down below, but 
I don't I don't think we have really anything else. That was kind of yeah. sad. If you enjoy this though, let us know. Uh, we've been half of Learn STEM, and we post every Sunday. So yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye.